Below the Frame, I'm talking with the very talented Louise Gold. We talk about The Muppet Show. We talk about Jim. We talk about Frank, Richard, Jerry, Dave, and a lot more. Plus, we'll be getting a Jerry story and song to celebrate our friend Jerry Nelson. So hop to it. It's time to go Below the Frame, Season 2. Go, 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 go Below the Frame. Welcome to Below the Frame. We are back. Season 2. Better late than never. Uh, I, I am so glad that you're listening. Of course, if you like this podcast, please go online and rate and review it so we can bring attention to the stories that we are hearing on this little podcast of ours. Um, well, I mean, it has been quite a year, hasn't it, already? I mean, a seemingly nonstop pandemic th- that we are still in, and, well, it, just a crazy time to be alive. And, in fact, it's a crazy time to be a Muppet fan. A lot of new stuff coming out and premiering soon, along with a bunch of other stuff that is on the horizon, and you're saying, uh, Matt, you're being intentionally vague, and to that I say, yes, I am, and that is because I have to be, but trust me, uh, there is always stuff uh, brewing on the Sesame side and on the Disney side of the Muppets, uh, uh, and we, we can't wait to share all of those things with you. Something else I can't wait to share with you is the, this week's interview, Louise. What can I say about Louise? I have known her for years, and we have worked together often, but I, I feel like I have... I'd known her my entire life, you know what I mean? And that's because of Louise. She is just such a wonderful beam of light, and she's, well, she's just, she's just so Louise. So <laughs> you're going to see what I mean here in a second. Uh, enough of my upfront banter. Let's get on with it. Are you ready? I am. Let's do it. Season two. Let's go below the frame with Louise Gold. Don't, no, don't be nervous. It's going to be fun. I'll... I'll put like this really great intro at the beginning of it to introduce you. And then at the end of that, I will say, Louise Gold, welcome to Below the Frame. And then we're off and running. Does that good? Yeah. Right, let's just I go. Love it. I let's love just do it. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Louise, where did you grow up? I grew up in a place called East Sheen, which is just on the edge of London. Um, it's which, very which, nice. Uh, east, or is it? It's southwest. Which part? Which, like what? It's near south, Richmond. But it's called East Sheen? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's southwest. Yeah, that's weird. East Sheen is southwest. Yeah. But that's all right. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, but it's near Richmond. Yes. And um, tell me a little bit about growing up there. What did you do? What did I do? Well, I was always a little bit eccentric. My mother was an actress, so, and... She really loved what she did. She wasn't successful. Nobody knows who she was. She just was, as they call it, a jobbing actress. And she really liked it. And she, when we were little, she did all kinds of things to make money. She stayed at home being a mum and made doll's house furniture and sold, um, not Avon, it was called Vanda Beauty Counselor, but Avon, all the kind of things that stay-at-home mums do to make a bit of money. And I always wanted to sing and dance. I never really wanted to be a puppeteer. 
because I didn't know people did that really for a living. Why? They don't. They don't. Yeah. Uh, Tell me a little bit more about your family. You said your mom was an actress, but uh, who else was in your family? Well, my dad, they met, there was a a very famous left-wing theatre company, Unity Theatre, which was an amateur theatre in, I guess, the 50s. And a lot of people you would not have heard of, but who became stalwarts of British theatre. Oh, try me. Well, Alfie Bass. Well, the, the, the most famous person who they worked with was Lionel Bart, who wrote Oliver. Oh, yeah. Well, I've heard of so, Lionel Bart, and I've yeah. heard of Oliver. So, yeah, see, I'm not so I'm not unrefined. <laughs> I, I hear things and know things a little bit. <laughs> well, it's kind of, you know, it was a long time ago, but it was a political theatre. And my mum and dad met there. And my dad, he could have been an actor. He was a very good actor, but he didn't have the temperament for it. He didn't, it's too, it's too an insane thing. So he did a very boring job that he hated. (laughs) And he worked for the Financial Times and hated it, hated it. And had a breakdown in his 50s and left. And then, and then what was wonderful, in his old age, when he was about 70, he joined an extras agency. And when he, he, was, he was a wonderful face. He was a little, he called himself the Hebrew dwarf. He was Jewish. And he had a very, very characterful face. And he became an extra in his old age. And he loved it loved it you know he met oh, wow. people and he was an extraordinary man and people would always love him and come to the front your face is so wonderful um and he just he was sort <laughs> That's of it's really great it was great and it was toying with being an actor but without the pressure of it you know being being a career so so it was lovely in the last 10 years of his life he kind of did what he would always liked to do without the pressure it was it was a really a happy ending because his his he suffered from depression and you know was a bit jealous of me doing what I wanted to do and my mum doing what she wanted to do. So just at the end, he mm. he kind of had fun and enjoyed it. And one of my favourite things he I don't think it ever got shown, but he and this other guy, I think it was a commercial, but I have a picture somewhere of him dressed as a woman with this other guy in drag for some commercial. And he just loved it. He was so (laughs) up for doing anything. And he joined this agency, was called the Ugly Agency, (laughs) to supply weird-looking people. And he was just... He finally did that thing that he wanted to do. Yeah, better late than never. He he leapt into it. And he he did um, classes of improv. He, He would take class... And go and do improv, and he loved that in the local, you know, local lessons. So my brother and I, my brother is also an actor, so we didn't really, we didn't have a choice, really. Is is your brother older or younger than you? My brother is two years younger, and um, okay. he he's always thought what I do is a bit silly. I do the musicals and the puppets, whereas he's much more serious actor. He worked with Ken Branagh. And Emma Thompson, very early on, he did a tour with them doing Shakespeare while I was doing, you know, rubbish like The Muppet Show, things like that. Well, well, well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well. Uh, so what what were the kind of things, apart from, you know, probably acting and doing yeah. art, artistic things, what kind of things did you do as a kid 
in East Sheen? Well, my family was a little bit mad. Our house was quite near Richmond Park and near the river, and we had loads of animals in the house. We had a rabbit, Hopperty, that used to come in the house and would bite through all the cables of the television and everything, just hopped around. I, I had mice, which I kept in a doll's pram with wire on the top. Okay. And they kind of had earth and they burrowed underneath. How many mice were in the pram at one time? A lot, because they breed. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. And at one point, Harrods, you know, Harrods, the big department store? Oh, yeah. Well, Harrods, when I was little, had a zoo in which you could actually buy lions and all kinds of things. This is no longer there. But I, at one point, sold some of my baby mice to Harrods. For their zoo. Wow. Yeah. Someone, maybe somewhere, has has the uh, you know descendants. Yeah, descendants of your mice somewhere. Yeah, yeah it's quite possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Steve Whitmire, we, we had other animals because we had cats, and Steve Whitmire actually got a cat, a kitten from my family, which he called Sheena because it came from East Sheen. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, um, you know, we... You had um, a lot of animals. A lot of animals, guinea pigs. Guinea pigs? Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. This was all just yeah. welcomed into the house by your parents? They're like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, and I never realized till much later that I'm actually allergic to cats, and we always had loads of cats. <laughs> and I didn't realize that I used to spend my entire childhood sneezing, and I didn't know why till much, much later. Uh, yeah, I can relate um, to that. I mean, I do feel like you just think like that. Oh, that's just me. That's just how my yeah. life is. I just sneeze all yeah. the time. Yeah. When you don't know, that's just what it is. Yeah. yeah. So we so we had loads of animals. And the other thing, my parents, our house was a total chaos. Absolute chaos. Because <laughs> they I, we always had artistic presence, sort of making things and... Um, kits of there was something enamel air where you melted glass i don't think you could buy it now because it'd be too dangerous but it was a kit you got to make enamel jewelry but but it was all there was a table in the front room that was just always covered with all our projects and nothing ever got cleared away (laughs) sounds like a very creative home though and just vibrant and lots filled filled with things to do it was it was filled with things to do and we um the neighborhood kids loved it because i'd always be a bit embarrassed because everyone else's house was all neat and tidy and ours was a mess but of course the kid the other kids loved it because they come around and you know we just everything was chaos and no one was going don't put that there you'll ruin our sofa (laughs) it was ruined already because the rabbit had eaten it (laughs) (laughs) and then we did I was very, very bossy as a kid, and I would put on shows and order everyone around and tell them how to do it. I think I must have been obnoxious, mm-hmm. and I did make <laughs> puppet shows. There was a little, um, 
Not, well, I had Pelham puppets. Do you know those? They're the string puppets. Oh, yeah. Yep. I've got, I had a couple when I was a kid. So I had a gypsy. Yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah. I had a gypsy. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what else, which were always tangled up, you know, in the mess. They, the strings were always tangled yes. up. And we made with papier-mâché, with eggs, and you'd stick things on and make hand puppets. This was before the internet. You had to make your own entertainment. And if you were lucky, there might have been an art book that told you how to make yeah. something like that. Yeah, it would I have forgot a, would have been a book things. that you had to read. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're remembering them. <laughs> well, I forgot because yeah. we did. My mum, we made papier-mâché heads for these little puppets. I maybe I am a puppeteer all along. I thought I came to it by accident, but... Wow. Yeah, but you did it when you were a kid. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. This that's a scoop right there. We got a scoop right there. You even yeah. you forgot that yeah. you had done this when you were a kid. <laughs> yeah, but it was my bossiness doing doing them in the shed. And there were these cut-out things. Now what are they called? Cut-out theaters. This is not strictly puppets, but they're on wires and you cut them out and they would have like Cinderella and you cut them out and they'd come on and you you do that. And I'd charge a penny or something for people to come into the shed and watch the puppet shows. Were those like t- tabletop, uh, like a proscenium? Yeah. Uh, and, and then you would, something like that, and then the characters could come on? Yeah, on wires. I feel like I've seen those. Yeah, they're kind of cut out. I think my mum called them penny plain tuppence coloured because you'd buy them and you'd cut them out and you'd stick them on board. And then you do the plays. And I think you can still, before there was a pandemic, there was a shop that I can't remember what it's called, these little kind of plays that you did. And then my mum was, she, because we never had any money. We weren't starving by any means, but, you know, you made your entertainment. Mm -hmm. So we would draw and cut out and paint them and do things like that. And my mum was always getting us to do things and cut them out and stick them and in the old days. In the old days. But you, you were always interested then maybe in the arts in one way or the other. And you did you yeah. go to school uh, to study being an actor? Yeah. I when I was little, I read a book called Ballet Shoes, which is about this it's it's a very famous kids book in England I don't know but it's about these three girls who one becomes an actress one becomes a ballet dancer and I thought it was you know brilliant I wanted to be a ballet dancer and my mother very wisely said you are much too tall you are not going to be a ballet dancer but she found out about this school called arts educational where you could learn dancing singing acting and do educational work. So you do half the day lessons, half the day. And she uh, sent me there and I got a grant to go there. I had to do an audition in which I burst into tears, which I've done ever since in auditions. I did, um, (laughs) I had to recite a poem. I did The Walrus and the Carpenter and forgot my lines and burst into tears. And, And they said, she's in. And the last time I did this, I burst into this. I auditioned many, many, many years later for our open-air theatre for Dame Judi Dench, who was directing the play. And I sang my song and burst into tears. And Judi Dench, who is the most 
wonderful woman in the world came out and hugged me and said, oh, darling, I know I get so nervous at auditions. Oh, darling, yes, yes, absolutely. And I got the job. But so, you know, always bursting tears. <laughs> yeah, she's in. See, that's how she's it works. You've got, the, you've got a little secret. Yeah. You've got a secret yeah. trick that you can just pull out whenever you want. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's your well, secret trick. <laughs> well, I, I read an interview with... Judy Judy is the most amazing. She's wonderful, so lovely, such a company member, just as wonderful as you want her to be. She is that wonderful. And I did a show with her at mm. Regent's Park. I'm now skipping on way past to... No, that's fine. Uh, we did a show called The Boys from Syracuse, which is a musical of Shakespeare's play about... Oh, um, God, how awful. But I'm so proud. Anyway, Judy Dench directed it. And on her first, I will never forget this, on the first night of the show, she was out there painting the set with a paintbrush. <laughs> oh because gosh. it needed, you know, there was something that needed touching up. What a, what a gal she is. Yeah. And, and I read and, an interview with her later. And a heck of an actor, too. Oh, she's unbelievable. She's, she's just the best she's amazing but i read an interview about her when she said on the first day of rehearsals she always leaves her bag by the door because just in case they get rid of her she can just quickly go and her bag's by the door and she can <laughs> sort of take her coat and i thought yeah it never gets any better whoever you are there's always that thing they might it might not work out this might I'm, it might be it for me yeah yeah boys of syracuse is is uh it's based on comedy of errors that's the, I knew I knew there were twins in the title. I had my crack research team uh, look that up for me. Thank you. And I played the part that Judy Gent had played on stage. I'd seen her do oh, wow. comedy veras on stage and play that part, and she was amazing. But so she directed me. Uh, how, how was it that you got to that point in your career where you're acting with Judy Dench, who's directing you? Like, okay. What was your first significant role as an actor? Um, what was my very, well my very very first I went so I went to stage school back to the beginning I went to this school arts educational and the head of the drama department was in a pantomime was directing a pantomime in a place called Malvern and he cast me as the fairy uh, fairy Bobel and I had to sing ding dong ding a ling dong were the steeple bells ever quite so gay. That was my song. So, and in those days, you had to get an equity card before you could work, but you couldn't get an equity card without getting a job. And then you had to do 40 weeks work before you got a full equity card. And that is no longer. But, you, but so they helped me get my equity card. So that was my first job, pantomime. And I think I got paid fifteen pounds a week, so it was it was a big earner. <laughs> <laughs> and then I did lots of I did I was in Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat a tour. I was acting ASM, which is um, stage managing but also acting in a show. And again, I don't think that's something that happens anymore. People now, your stage management or you're an actor. But in those days, you were acting as yeah. M. So I did all these kind of bumming around, just jobbing. And I did a show 
called Land of the Dinosaurs, which uh, was about... It was, it was kind of a, a... It was another musical. It was a ludicrously wonderful, silly show based on all those um, films where people go on a journey and find the lost land of the dinosaurs, Conan Doyle, whatever. Right. And so this was the silly version of that. And it was during that that my agent got me the audition for The Muppet Show. So you were, I mean, were you a working actor, pretty much? And then your agent says, hey, I've got this uh, crazy audition. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's for The Muppet Show. And did you know who Jim Henson was? Were you aware of no. The Muppets? No. I'd, it no. was, because there'd been a first series, so I kind of vaguely knew, but I was on tour doing Land of the Dinosaurs, um, this was, <laughs> please believe me, this was not, I loved it, but it, it, it this was not a huge, um, hit show. This was, um, you know, <laughs> touring around the provinces. Um, and so I didn't really know what the Muppet show was. And I got the audition because I was tall. They were looking for someone tall. And I went to this audition, not really knowing who I was meeting, in a way, great, because if I'd known, I would have been overwhelmed by the whole thing. I wasn't, they were just some really nice people. And what, what did they do with that audition? Did they teach you? Did they say, here, put this puppet on your hand? Yes, that's exactly what they did. follow along. What, how did that yeah. audition work? Well, I went in and there was Jim, yeah. They were sitting at a desk. Really? I know. <laughs> there was Jim. Yeah. As I remember, Jim and Frank, probably Richard, I can't remember. I think it, I know Jim was there. And um, they said, put this puppet on and count one, two, three. Can you do that? Did I have to do more of that audition? I don't know. It, you know, do a funny voice. Just be a bit silly. Yeah. And then you burst out crying. I burst out crying and I got the job. And it was... <laughs> <laughs> and he said, no. you're in. <laughs> well, what... What was amazing, and I have told this story before, I was doing Land of the Dinosaurs, and my agent said, you've got an audition for this show, Muppet Show, on Saturday. And I said, I can't go. I have a mat in there. I can't go. And she said, you have to go. I said, I can't go. There are no understudies in this show. I cannot not do the show. Now, this show was directed by a rather mad person called Ken Hill, who had worked with another mad person called Joan Littlewood, who is a legendary British theatre director. She produced Oh, What a Lovely War. She's legendary in British theatre. And my agent said, you have to ask. I said, how can I ask? I'm, you know, I said, look, my agent has said, I have to ask. I've got to have... The show, I know I can't, you know, I know I can't. Brilliant. We'll make it up without you. The girl playing your sister will take your... Excellent. What a great thing. We'll, yeah, we'll find a way. (laughs) Go, do it. Yeah, that's it. That is crazy. You know, the miracles of fate that made that possible. It wasn't possible. I didn't have an understudy. And and his thing was brilliant. We'll invent the show without you. But how lucky for that to happen. It's a miracle because it totally changed my life. You know, I'm talking to you now, how many years later? Because of Ken Hill being mad and saying, yes. yes. Go ahead. We'll do the matinee show. Yeah, go. We'll we'll do something. And and I was 20, you know, when that happened. And this was for series two yeah. of The Muppet Show, yeah. right? Yeah. And 
I said, I don't, I've never done this before. So what was your process then? Was it, the, the, you know, you count to 10, did mm-hmm. they say, you're in? And then if that was the case, then what was your first day on The Muppet Show like? Well, what happened, I remember, it's weird, isn't it? Because it is a very long time ago. But, but I remember the other thing that happened was I went to a fete or somewhere with my mum and over the loudspeakers came a message, Louise Gold, call your agent. <laughs> As I'm walking around and, and my dad had got the message and this was the days before mobile phones, before pages, right. you know, you had to find a phone box. But this was, I'd over the loudspeakers, call your agent. What? Oh, my God, this is exciting. Um, And I'd got a a recall. And what happened was they chose three actresses, tall actresses, and each one did came in for one show and worked on a show. And it was a kind of tryout. And I was the mad one. (laughs) Well, you know, why? Why? For some reason, well, you know what it's like. It's so intense, so close. For some reason, there's some chemistry that people go, okay, I can be under a set for five hours with this woman. I can have her in my armpit. Yeah. Why? I don't know. Yeah, so so it sounds like you were assisting. Well, I kept, the first thing I had to do... And I don't, I don't know if I'd sung at the audition, but they I, I, I don't think they knew if I could sing or not, but I had to do three-part wow. harmony of Chanson de Moore. And I remember rehearsing this and being in, t- in tears, uh, yeah. thinking, I can't do this, this is a nightmare, I can't learn the harmony, I've got to do it tomorrow. And going in and then, and then doing it at the voice record with Jim and them going, none of us could do that. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> And, and then they worked the puppets. You know, I didn't operate the puppets. So, first of all, I was doing background chickens and doing a lot of singing, a lot of singing and, you know, being in a hole in the ground with your arm fixed so there was very little that could go wrong <laughs> and just learning slowly how to do it. Mm. And um, all the time thinking this is too difficult, I can't do this. It's so hard. But did you enjoy it? I loved it. I thought it was amazing. And Richard Hunt took me under his wing because I'm kind of there and I don't know how to do this, you know, just work with a monitor. I don't know what I'm doing. And I'd be Frank's right hand and Frank would just hit you if you got it wrong. But Richard (laughs) would come up and, yeah, yeah, and Jim would just say do whatever you know be links i'd be links right hand and rolf's right hand so i'd be there in the thick of it and i did i was just terrified but jim would just go oh it's fine whatever you're doing is fine but richard would actually keep an eye and then come and tell me and sort of work with me and keep an eye out for me that's really nice yeah he was amazing he was amazing and he would also shout at me <laughs> just so you didn't feel like he, so he was being honest with you when you were good you were good and when you were not as I good. don't think he ever said I was good <laughs> <laughs> but he was there for you he was there for he was absolutely absolutely there for me and you know they all were but Jim was directing doing yeah. everything you know he doesn't have time but you you learn by watching by doing it we'll be back with more from Louise Gold in a minute but right now 
It's time for a Jerry story. You know how we do this. Uh, it's about our good friend Jerry Nelson, and today Bill Beretta is going to share a memory and then a story written by the veteran Muppet performer of characters such as the Count, Floyd, Pepper, Robin, and so many more, Mr. Jerry Nelson. So uh, sit back and enjoy this. Bill, take it away. Hey, this is Bill Beretta, and uh, I've been given the lovely opportunity to read one of Jerry's stories. Um, I have brief recollection. (laughs) Uh, There are many. But uh, I can think of one that I kind of remember, but I really don't. It was the first time Jerry and I ever shared uh, what the kids call the weed. And uh, it was early on, and we had never done that before together. And we were at a party, and all I really remember is that we smiled a lot. And we laughed a lot. And I can't even tell you what we talked about. I can't really pick a moment or a phrase. But all I can think of and all that I remember is his smile. And his mustache and his beard and how it curled up. That's what I remember. Is the feeling. Not the words. 1959. Dude Wrangler, or How I Lied and Got a Job at Twin Pines in the Poconos. The summer of 1959 saw me running out of unemployment and wasting my time hanging out in Midtown with Vaughn Meter. Most days, we wound up playing Fascination on Broadway. If you won, they paid off in prizes, one being subway tokens, which we knew the subway people would not redeem them, but a little cigar shop around the corner on 47th Street would. On good days, we would supplement our funds enough to be able to afford two tickets to one of the sleazy double-feature movie theaters on 42nd Street and have enough left over to stop at a market on the way back up to 57th and 9th Avenue where Vaughn and Vera, his German bride from when he was in the army over there, and Jackie and I had rooms. The place was a railroad flat. Vaughn and Vera had the large front room, on the left a bathroom shared by all. Another room across from the bath, Then came my room. Across from my room on the left was a small room that had been a pantry, but had a small bed and some cabinets that Jackie rented, but she usually stayed in my room with me. Then came the kitchen and one more room behind mine. An assortment of changing people stayed in the other rooms, but the meters and Jackie and I were the regulars. Of our fellow renters, I only remember bits and pieces except for the woman we called the Countess. She'd been married to some South American tin magnet years in the past and seemed quite old to us at the time, probably late 50s or early 60s. I was 25 at the time. Jackie was, I think, 22. Vaughn was my age, and I don't know how old Vera was. The Countess used to go to the bar around the corner on 9th Avenue and get drunk, pick up some other drunk at the bar, and bring him up to her room for some very energetic, noisy sex. Somewhere around the end of August, Vaughn pointed out an advertisement in the Help Wanted section of the New York Times. A resort in the Pocono Mountains was looking for a dude wrangler. I called the number in the paper and set up a meeting with the man who owned the Twin Pines Dude Ranch. This was located in the Pocono Mountains outside of Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. He gave me an address on Lexington Avenue in the 50s. I went there 
and was told by the secretary that he was expecting me in the restaurant downstairs. I went to the eatery and was directed to a table where four people sat having lunch. Putting on my best Oklahoma accent, I introduced myself. A chair was brought and I was asked to sit down and the interview began. It was a little off-putting to be questioned in a public place in front of so many strangers and in reflection, I guess he wanted to see what my comfort zone was with strangers since that's whom I'd be dealing with on the ranch. He asked what experience I had had with livestock in general and horses specifically. Without missing a beat, I told him I had grown up on a ranch in Oklahoma but that I hadn't been back there for some time as I'd been living in the city. We spoke for about 15 or 20 minutes, and then he thanked me and told me he would call me one way or another. The next day he called and informed me that if I still wanted the job, it was mine. I said yes. He told me where and when. After I hung up the phone, I thought, how stupid, as the last thing I told him was, and don't worry, I've got my own boots. Maybe he just thought I had a sardonic wit, but the truly funny part was I did not have my own boots. I had to borrow Vaughn's. Vaughn used to go to the old Madison Square Garden on 8th Avenue and 49th Street when the rodeo was in town and limp around outside as if he had sustained an injury from riding in some event. And that was the even funnier thing about those self-same boots. Yee-haw! I love you, Jerry. Always have, always will. Thanks, Bill. Coming up later, we're going to hear a song from the late, great Jerry Nelson. But now, back to the show. One, two, three, four. Go, 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 below the frame. We're back with Louise Gold. So eventually yeah. you got, you got yeah. Annie Sue, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so tell me a little bit about that. She, she, Annie Sue, she's a female pig. She's not unlike another female pig that happened to be on the Muppet Show. She's but... very much more talented, a yes. lot younger, a yes. lot more beautiful. <laughs> right. Um, Innocent, sweet. What? Are we... Well, as as I've gone back to it, I you know you don't kind of know it at the time, but all the puppets are fragments of our souls. All the characters are us. Yeah. And, of course, Annie Sue was young, enthusiastic, thought she could do anything, you know, arrogant in the way that you you are when you're 20 and you think you're really (laughs) fantastic and you haven't learned yet that you can't do anything. So, you know, that was me. And I'm thinking, how did they think up this character? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wow, where did they get this idea? This this works well for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's cool. That's great. Do you remember, like, what was your favorite thing to do with Annie Sue on The Muppet Show? Oh, well, I loved when she went out with Roger Moore because I did get a bunch of flowers, and um, I think from the writers, <laughs> um, to say thank you for my sterling work with Roger Moore because she, she went out with him. Um, I loved it all. And, you know, although... Annie Sue was my main character. I did a lot of the UK spots, yes, which were called the, the two-minute spots, which were never shown in the in America, right? Because they were they had more commercials. So there were loads of one-off songs that I got to do. And were those like British music hall songs? Is that what those were? A, a lot, lot of, of them, them were. were. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did all, all kinds. The the famous, you know, Miss Piggy waiting at the church pregnant. Uh-huh. Now, I don't know whether that would be done now. 
I don't know. There was a lot of stuff, you know, um, like uh, the baby band. Uh, have they been retired now? No, we did them in Muppets Most Wanted. And uh, oh, and there's something. Yes, so, yes, of course they were. Yeah. There's a really funny bit on uh, Muppets Now with Seth Rogen and a couple of babies, and they're just they're picking up like poison and they're picking up nails and wires oh, 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 wow. and it's ridiculous. And, and oh, is Bobby Benson there? He's, he's not there in that, but uh, you know, I think he's still around. I think just without the, without the cigarette, without the yeah. cigarette. Yeah. All these things, you know, the, that you think times have changed. And also because it was made in Britain and the UK spot, I think there were things that maybe slipped in that if it had been made in America, maybe would not I don't know. Not have know. not have been appropriate. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Or yeah. 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 So you worked on this show, yeah. the Muppet Show, at the yeah. height of their popularity. Yeah. I don't think yeah. they've ever been more popular oh. than they were during this time yeah. in the seventies. And and although we all know that you're a legend. A legend. In this field. Yeah. You are, yes. Does that, uh-huh. Legend usually means very old, doesn't it? No, no, not at all. Okay. In your case, it does, but not. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, uh, you're a legend in this field, and but you got to work with other legends in this yes. field, yes, the yes. other Muppet performers. So, yeah. uh, what I'd like to do now is I just want to, if you could tell me a little something about each of those performers, maybe a memory of them, or, or something about the way you interacted with them. So, um, I'll start with Jim. Oh, I, I, I'll cry if I talk. I loved, you know, Jim. The thing that I learnt, you know, this was one of my first jobs. I'd done a tatting around in theatre. But the the lesson I learnt was you can work, you know, Jim worked harder than anybody else. His puppets were always heavier than anybody else's. He'd be in the pit in the most uncomfortable position for longer than anybody else. Then in his lunch break, he'd go to a production meeting. Then he'd be working on the next film. He never stopped. And he did it with such joy. He did it with such joy. And he loved the talent he was surrounded with. He just loved it. And you always felt any time you didn't get something... He would he would be going no that's that's not it because he knew you could do it better. It was never like why are you doing like that you're rubbish. It was I know you're brilliant. I only have brilliant people working with me, and I want you to do it better. And you all strived to do that. Yeah, you wanted to imagine. please. I mean, I wanted to please Daddy because he was. Yeah, of course. He was. <laughs> I wanted to make him happy. I wanted to do it right desperately. And, and, you know, just my memories of him laughing at what Frank was doing and loving, you know, just on the floor laughing at Frank doing stupid things. Well, speaking of Frank, uh, yeah. what about a thought about memory or, or something about Frank? My, my favourite memory is when we were doing a pigs in space thing with the space rocket and it caught fire. And everyone just stood around watching this thing catch fire and Frank went and got a fire extinguisher and put it out. <laughs> It's just like everyone's just standing and going, oh, it's caught fire. Mm. Mm. Huh. <laughs> um, well, Frank is a genius. Working with Frank, you know, he's demanding. He's, he's not difficult, but he knows what he wants. He's very, very single-minded when he works. He's hardworking. He's, he's a genius. And again, watching him and Jim work together... 
just ah must have been wonderful yeah you know the, the you know their characters Bert and Ernie Piggy yeah and Kermit Kermit and Fozzie the relationships the love the yeah, a lot of the a lot of those characters. I mean, it really is about the character relationships. It's yeah. it's about that yeah. more than anything else. Yeah, and the love, the love of the. And I always say, you know, the the relationship of the puppeteers, they drove each other mad. <laughs> oh my uh, god! But they loved each other. You know, this yeah. wonderful dysfunctional family. Well, speaking of dysfunctional, let's talk mm-hmm. about Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. No. Well, the the irony with Dave, I think Dave thought I was very obnoxious when we worked together, first of all. I thought he didn't quite know how, because Dave comes from such a different background, sort of engineering and not not performing initially. And I think he found me really obnoxious. And I think he will be open about that and didn't really know how to take me at all. And now I love him. We have become such dear friends over the years and I love 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 him and but you know that's taken from a different place because when you know Jim the the Muppet show Richard and Jerry were kind of pals the rather naughty you know they were off then Dave and Frank had their relationship Jim (laughs) was doing his thing and I kind of went with Richard and Jerry, Richard and Jerry's team, and uh, they looked after me. And yeah, so D- Dave at the time was a little bit more distant. Yeah. Well, well tell me about uh, Richard and, and Jerry then. Well, they always welcome. I mean, everyone did. You know, everyone. It was. I feel. You know, it was weird coming in because I, was, I wasn't that much younger, but I was a bit younger than everyone, and I was the only English person, and I was the only woman, and all those <laughs> right. things. Um, but, you know, Richard dragged me along to everything and involved me in everything, as did Jerry. You know, they were... They were and I loved, you know, working with Jerry and singing with Jerry. Some of my most happy memories are doing songs with Jerry. I just... Would, would you record those in the booth together across from each other? Yeah, yeah, oh, usually. That's so yeah. great. Yeah, and we had the orchestra. Oh, my God, you know, those days we would do things. It was the Jack Parnell Orchestra. So we're working with all these unbelievable musicians and sometimes we'd be singing live or they'd record a track and then we'd get to do it afterwards you know you you do it with all with computers now but to do it with a full orchestra it was just these amazing amazing musicians just unbelievable phenomenal some of those songs that you did with jerry just amazing and and you continued to do that when you came over to work on sesame didn't you you did a lot of singing bits with jerry which is just fantastic yeah yeah what's a moment from your career on the muppet show that will always stay with you. God, there's so there's so many. Uh, the thing that I always remember, I remember watching Jim rehearsing Happy Feet in the mirror in the workshop. And that is one of my favorite Muppet Show moments ever, seeing 
the frog and believing yep. that he has legs and just going, this frog is dancing. He's really dancing. <laughs> and, but I remember Jim rehearsing that in front of the mirror in the workshop and just seeing him going, really up, cool. going over and over and over it and, you know, the hands and everything. Yeah. Ah, uh, really nice. Before yeah. we move away from The Muppet Show, yes. we have a special guest with a message and a question for you. Okay. Hello, Louise. It's Warwick here sending you lots of love. We always have so much fun together, and I just love the insight and wisdom that you bring to all of the projects that we get to work on. You have a way of pulling the team together and helping everybody achieve more than they thought they could. One of the most important days of my career is the day that you were basically giving me dramas calling whilst I was performing a distraught Muppet cow. You kept telling me to raise my performance until it was at a level where it should be. It was invaluable advice, and I use this every day now, so thank you. Now, we've worked together many times since I first asked you to come and do my Ed and Outcho show. We've done Muppets Most Wanted, The Furchester Hotel, The Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance, and that puppet game show in Elstree Studio D, where you originally shot The Muppet Show. Each of these shows has its own vibe in the studio, but what I'd like to know is, what was the atmosphere like on the floor while shooting The Muppet Show? And what was the schedule like on a typical shoot day? Uh, well, ah, Warwick. Me, Warwick. I love <laughs> Warwick. Oh, my goodness. I know. How can you not? He's fantastic. I just, I have been so lucky. <sighs> you know, that has led me to work with just, so, I'm crying now. Oh, God, thank you, Judy Dench. <laughs> you know, I just, the people I have got to meet, like you, like all the new the new young Turks, even though none of you are that young anymore, but, no. <laughs> you know, the, the, the younger generation, oh, my God, the people I've got to work with and the love of... It's one of the things, and I take it into all the other things I do, and as I say from Jim, doing things you love, and I try and always remember it, and I don't always... And when Warwick and I were doing Dark Crystal and we were in a Skeksis for however many hours, and every so often I would say, come on, guys, you know, we really want to do this. We are doing something we love, even though it's so uncomfortable, it's so awful, it's a nightmare. Just let's remember, this is what we've dreamed to do. Right. This is the thing we dream to do. This is the thing so- we dreamed of doing. And it won't go on forever as we are in agony and it's just going on and on. Yeah. So, uh, uh, what was his question again? Yeah, his question uh, was basically, "What was the, uh, what was the atmosphere uh, like?" Yeah, yeah. He said, uh, "You know, what was the atmosphere on the floor, and what yeah. was a typical uh, schedule for your shooting day on the yeah. Muppet Show?" Thank you, thank you. I'm very old, and I can't remember questions from two minutes. <laughs> That's ago. all right. I had to write it down myself. <laughs> the um, well, the thing that I always remember is the laughter, and there was tension, and of course, you know, we had it was quite strict. We always had to finish it. I think a shooting day went maybe till seven, but overtime you could beg for a quarter of an hour overtime, half an hour overtime, but the unions were very, very strict and you couldn't go over. So you had to finish. Mm. And so it, the last thing of the day would often be the UK spot. And it was, so it would be a musical number. It would get thrown in at the last minute. We have to finish this. You know, it doesn't matter how raggedy it is. And some of those were pretty raggedy when you watch them back because <laughs> it had to get done before we shut up shop. 
But wow. but the thing that I remember is just the joy of it. And the guest stars usually would just be so thrilled. They'd be so excited to meet the puppets. They'd be doing it because their kids had asked them to. Jim worked, you know, when he was working with the guest stars, they loved working with him. He was so gentle in his direction. So that was usually joyous. So, yeah, it was all brilliant. It was all amazing. It was all lovely. No, but it was. It, yeah. it was. And, yeah, there were days when everyone was tired and grumpy. But overall, we knew how – I mean, I was – there was an element of me the, – the, the form for me, we had Dudley Moore on the show, who I loved. I had such a crush on Dudley Moore. And – um I said, I, I'm so embarrassed. I said to him, you know, this, this isn't what I really want to do. And he said, oh, what do you want to do, work in a supermarket? <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, he's all right. You don't know, really, I'm an actress. I'm really, you know. And, and you think, yeah, yeah, you don't want to be on the biggest show on television at the moment? No, you want to right. rather work. In the world. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you think, yeah, shut up. Just enjoy well, it. I think we are actors. We, aren't of we? course we are. Of we course are, right? It's just we yeah. the way that we get the message out there is of these pieces of felt and foam and feathers and but, but we're still but, actors. Oh my god, you know, and when yeah. the very first day I went down to watch them filming. They asked me to go down and I think it was a Milton Burl show. I think watching to, mm-hmm. to just see how it went. And I, I remember thinking, oh, this is more incredible than I thought because I can see these people. I, there's no pretending they're not there. They're not hiding. And I'm still watching the things on their hand. Yeah. And I'm watching the emotion coming through. And Frank did acting lessons. You know, Dave, you know, you talk to Dave about the way he approaches his characters. There is huge psychological depth. It is not he just wiggles a piece of... Right. Spur on the end of his hand. He thinks about the characters and their journey. Yeah, which is what any actor really does. Any yes. actor worth his salt. Yeah, yes. that's what they do. Yeah. And seeing, and this was the thing of watching Jim and Frank together, this incredible double act, as good as any human double act. They're just this incredible double act. And the pathos, the, you know, that they can make you cry, fuzzy bear, when it, when it goes wrong and you just, your heart breaks for him and it's still and, hilarious but it's that it's such a convergence of feelings I'm, i feel terrible for him but it's so funny and it's yeah, the bad yeah. it's it's really yeah. amazing that that you can make a you know fake fur do that yeah yeah but you have you know the people who can do that the the best of the muppet is they are brilliant actors they just do it a different way yeah you know it's all the same things so uh my memory, and you know, doing the musical sessions, we had such fun doing the singing. That was one of my favourite bits because I love singing, and I got to do all these different characters. And I, again, I was too young to be nervous. I just had the best time. I just loved it, and I never felt Jim never treated me like you know, you're the baby. You don't know what you're doing. I was just one of the one of the gang. It seemed. And then, so the the week would be Sunday, 
we would rehearse the guest star. We'd do the read through with the guest star and then we would rehearse a bit. And some of the guest stars, like John Cleese, wanted to rehearse everything. And then some of the others really wanted to be free and just do it differently every time, improvise and barely rehearse at all. Then Monday would be voice record. So would be that would be great. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday would be shooting. And then sometimes Friday. And the, the Tuesday would be the guest star day. So that would you would try and get all their bits done on one day. It wouldn't always work. And then we'd go to the puppet. You know, we'd do a day of backstages or a day of pigs in space or a day of, you know, things. And, uh, yeah. So that was, that was kind of... But you try to shoot out the guest star yeah. in one day. Yeah, so they'd, they'd do the Sunday read-through. They'd come in for the Monday record. And then Tuesday, ideally, they would be out of there. But it didn't always all work out like that. But often, you know, they had to be gone because they were on tight... Start that you know that was the fun for them. They could come in, do it three days, done. Get out, out. yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's uh, it's uh, on Disney Plus now. Yeah, but but it is. I was talking uh, to a little boy yesterday called Joseph, who you will be working with. I've asked him; he's eight, but he is he is the Warwick of the future. Oh, so okay. I've, I've said to him, when you are running your own show, please give me a job. And he did promise he would. Oh, good. But Thanks, I was talking to him because in the Muppet show, the puppeteering, and I, I'd be interested to see them because I haven't watched them, but, you know, one hand was usually pinned of the puppet. And now you would never do that. I know, Do you yeah. ever do that? Yeah, we do. Yeah. I mean, it depends. Okay. Very rarely, though. You know, if it's a big group shot, you might do it just because you can sure. have more puppets or people, sure. people have two on their hands. But, yeah, in general, we try not to do that. Yeah, because there weren't enough puppeteers. There, there just weren't enough puppeteers. Right. Um, and when I look back, you know, you guys now, the skill of you as puppeteers, I think is, I'm going to whisper this, way beyond. It's it's been taken on another level. The the genius of the original Muppet Show performers was their whole talent. You know, they had acting so much, you know, brilliant. Mm -hmm. But you guys, in a way, because most of you have learnt from watching that, you've taken it on. You've gone further. I really do. I think, well, that's very kind of you, Louise, but I, what I think happens, and it can happen in any, anything, and it can happen in a sport, if you observe and watch yeah. and really, really critically examine something yeah. uh, and then try to replicate it, I think you can improve upon what you're watching, which is, I think, what a lot of the second generation, third generation, whatever yeah. generation we're on now of Puppeteer yeah. has done, being inspired by legends such as yourself on the original Muppet Show. We've now kind of taken that and made it our own. Oh, totally. You have, you know, I am in awe when I watch you, when I watch you work. You know, the skill of you guys is just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Mm, um, very kind of you. Yeah, it is very uh, kind of me. It's a lie. I know. No, it's it not is. a lie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so well, let's leave the Muppet Show, but for a little bit, but you know, over the years we've lost quite a few friends and colleagues. Yeah. It just happens when you're 
in a career like this, and you make these close connections with people, yeah. and inevitably life, uh, you know, takes people away. Uh, so uh, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about them for a minute. I didn't talk about Jim. Uh, where were you when you heard that he died, and what did you? How did you feel? I was in a room doing an improv class somewhere in London, and I think Richard called me. And the shock of it, and um, just, you know, I got flown out to New York to be part of the service and, and to sing at the funeral. And it was one, I remember a meeting in the church, St. John the Divine, with the puppeteers when we were talking about what we were doing, and... It was awful, but it was also, there was a lot of laughter because there was always laughter in the blackest. You know, it was terrible. It was just devastating. And Jim was so young. And Richard, you know, Richard and Jim were so young. And the irony always that they played Statler and Waldorf, the yeah. old guys in the box, and they were the two were the who two. Didn't, didn't live. Um, so that... It was just horrific. And also it was a time when, you know, Richard knew he was ill. So he was speaking at Jim's memorial, knowing that he was dying. And so there was an element of him saying goodbye as well. It wasn't long after that Richard died. No. It was the next year, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So it was awful. And I, I was, you know, with Richard, I knew... I'd been with him a lot of the time and I was with him in the hospital where he was dying and he'd arranged a holiday for all his family in Utah and he insisted we all go despite the fact that he was in hospital and couldn't join us. You know, there was, would we be able to, would he somehow be able to get out to this beautiful holiday? And, of course, he didn't, you know, he'd arranged. And I'd been on several holidays with his family of, like, you're coming on my holiday, you're coming to Hawaii, <laughs> because I'm dying and I'm going to tell everyone we're going to do this holiday my way, because I'm... <laughs> even, even in, you know, his illness, it was sort of... Yeah, he was uh, thinking know, of everybody else, it seems he like. He was thinking of everyone thinking of... else, and, yeah... And so this holiday, we all had to go on this holiday knowing, and his mum stayed behind with Richard. And then I came back and uh, we went to the hospital and spent time with him. And, yeah, it was just, it was heartbreaking. And he, he, I remember his doctor had said to him, just hang on, if you can just hang on, they'll find a cure, there will be something. And, of course, you know, he was one of the the ones to go, and it's yeah. just heartbreaking. It, it's wonderful that we have video and film yeah. that we can see people's performance, and in that way yeah. their memory lives on, which is great. Yeah. And, of course, your memories of him and people that knew Richard or, yeah. or Jim or Jerry, those memories help, help people live on uh, yeah. as well. But it sure does suck that people have to go. It really does. Uh, you know, the only thing that is consoling, Jim lived about three lives. You know, Jim worked yeah. so hard. I don't know. 
you know, people, you could live to be 100 and not do what Jim did and, and what he left. And, yeah. you know, it would lovely, I wish he could have gone on and seen, you know, done more, explored. But what he has left, that, that one should live to be 100 and do what he's he has left is... And Richard too, you know, Richard, oh, God, he was so young. He was so young. And, you know, Richard would love to have done more acting as a, as a human. He would love to have done all kinds of things. Yeah. He was always talking about projects that he wanted to do with me and with other people. <sighs> yeah. I, n- I never met Richard, but I- I've heard things about him, and, and I-, I wish I had. I wish I had. Yeah. wish I'd met him. Yeah. Uh, let's just talk just briefly about Jerry. Well, you know, Jerry was your mentor, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he was. And uh, he was always just so... I mean, he was the coolest guy in the room, yeah. always yeah. to me. Yeah. You know, uh, I just you you couldn't be as cool as Jerry, no matter how no. hard you tried. <laughs> uh, uh, no, he was he was just the best, and sort of sitting around when he'd play the guitar and sing, and just oh yeah, it was oh, amazing. I'm I'm grateful to have been able to work alongside him and yeah. and and get to know him and and. And be close with him. He, he was he was a he was a heck of a guy, and I miss him. I know, I know, yeah. I know. But you know, at least he got to be a bit older. That's true. And, yeah. and go forward. Yeah, and he kept but, going. He kept going until yeah. the end. You know, he kept doing yeah. stuff with the count uh, yeah. until the end, which is great. Yeah. We're going to have one more segment with Louise in just a few minutes. But first, it's time for a little music from Jerry Nelson. Jerry was an amazing vocalist, as you all know that, and he was, you know, kind of the go-to guy for songs on this Muppet Show and even on Sesame Street for so, so many years. And uh, a lot of times he would do other people's music, not just his own. And today, Jerry is going to be singing a song written by Gus Kahn and Isham Jones from way back in 1924. This song was written. At least that's what uh, Wikipedia says. Anyway, here we go. Jerry, take it away. I'll see you in my dreams Hold you in my dreams Someone took you out of my arms Still I feel the thrill of your charm Sad ones were mine Tender eyes that shine They will light my way tonight I'll see you in my dreams
more from Louise Gold. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the count, he was on Sesame Street. You came to Sesame Street and did some stuff. Yeah. What, what was that like to 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 come to Sesame Street and and work on that show when you did? Oh, it was fantastic. I had the best time, you know, to work with Jerry. I mean, it was a bit of a shock because you do it so quickly and you don't have the built-up sets. You're all on the floor and, you know, oh, oh, the luxury of built-up <laughs> sets. <laughs> so kind of, whoa, better get with the program, get up to speed on this. But it was fantastic. And the first time I had been, well, I guess it would have been the first time I went to New York, I saw... Uh, Richard and Jim filming Forgetful Jones doing Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oklahoma, Oklahoma. <laughs> and I was just there when they filmed that, which was the most, I love that so much. And and Sesame Street, you know, the little puppet things, they're so simple and so brilliant. And I'm sure you know on The Muppet Show, the writers gave Jim like this pinball thing with um, a fluorescent that lit up, played the Muppet Show theme and said, simple is good. <laughs> no, I didn't know that. Well, it was kind of like the memory of the best things are just yeah. the simplest things. Simple. Two characters, you know, some of those just the Sesame Street things that are so simple and so beautifully played the two characters together. Just. Yeah, on a brick, like a brick wall with yep. Cookie Monster and Prairie yep. Dawn, and it's just... Yep. Simple is good. Because Jim, yeah. you know, one of the things, he would get sort of excited by technology or things, and yeah. they would be saying, get back, get back to the simple. Simple is good. It's always good to return to that, return to the simple. Yeah, absolutely. It's the basis of it all, and that's... Yeah. And that's why people love the puppets as opposed to the CGI, because it's relationships. It's it is. It is. And absolutely clear. And there's something about it when you see that you can actually touch them. You f- they feel tangible. You can you, tactile. Yeah. You can hug them. Yeah. Which which is yeah. uh, something that you can't do with a CG character. Yeah. And you can hit them. You can. You can. Hug them you can. Them. They can. You can. Yeah. You hit them with a bat. And they, they're fine. Well, my, my, that, that just made me think of Jim. And the thing that I always, because Jim was the most gentle 
in life, he was so gentle and calm, but his anger came out with the puppets, you know, the the insanity of the puppets. And I yeah. looked at him and I thought, yeah, these are the puppet people. I'm not quite, because my madness is, and Richard as well, you know, Richard was mad in real life. But Jim's kind of, you know, you thought this person underneath is insane. And yet but, that came out through his, through uh, some of those characters. Yeah, totally. It's the thing that you said earlier about how the characters are kind of part of us. You know, Jerry yeah. said that it's it's little little pieces of us that we blow yeah. up monster size, yeah. and that's yeah. that's how we make those characters. And I think it's yeah. true. Yeah. And so you're saying that Jim had a little bit of that in him, that angry, that wild, crazy yeah. side, and that came out in those characters. Yeah, I mean, Jim could be wild and crazy in real life as well. He, you know, he had a wonderful sense of humor and naughty, naughty, naughty sense of humor, <laughs> but his characters had the insanity and the freedom. And I think this is something, you know, I've, I've watched people who are solely puppet, like Warwick, for instance. You know, mm-hmm. it's channeled through the puppet. Yes. And, you know, some of us who are, because there are a lot of puppet people who are performers, you know, Richard, and both Je- Richard and Jerry were, came from more the performing kind of side. That's right. And yeah. Jerry had done acting and, and performing and singing. But it's it it's a mental trick to try to figure out how to get it to go through your hand somehow, yeah. I think. Yeah. It took me but, a long time to understand that. And to I fought against it for a long time because I wanted to do it myself. Yeah. And the thing that I feel so lucky for is I've now done enough things as myself that I can, I can bring, I can combine both. You know, the things I've learned from the puppeteering, I can take into my acting. But the things I've learned in my acting, I can bring back to the puppets. And I'm not fighting myself anymore. Yeah, that's a, probably an important hurdle to get over if, if you do have that. It's huge. It no. was a huge thing for me. So whether you're doing it as an actor or, or as a Muppet yeah. or a puppet character, what, what yeah. do you think are the most important things when you're creating a character? The truth, the truth, and um, and I the ca- think the character's truth. Yeah, the character's truth. You you have to see their viewpoint and their their point of view, I suppose. And the thing about the puppets, particularly with the characters, they have a childlike intensity of. They're angered. They are more angry. They are more unhappy. They are more overjoyed. They have incredibly intense emotions because, you know, it's so simple. Their eyes, they've got ping pong balls. They have nothing. (laughs) But they have unbelievably intense emotions and sincere emotions as well. Yeah, I love that. That's great. I really like that. The truth of that character and the emotion yeah. being greater than maybe a human actor might portray that because we are, we do have, we have faces that are, our faces yeah. move. They can be yeah. more subtle. So do you think you can get a subtle yes. emotional performance from a puppet as well? Yes. Yes, totally. Yeah. It's, um, you know, on dark crystal, uh, we, you know, that was very interesting because 
in many ways the puppets were required, particularly the Gelfling puppets, which are just hideous to work. They're the most, you know. Really? I, I would think that it would be the Skeksis. The Skeksis are uncomfortable, horrible to be inside, you know, killers, <laughs> but they kind of look great. You yes, kind okay. of, you can't, yes, of course you can make them look wrong, but you can you can have fun with them and you know they're kind of okay. The Gelfling are heavy, they're horrible, and it's really hard to make them look good as well. I, I think I know what you mean. Just the shape of how they move. I mean, I think with those Skeksis, there's a lot of uh, latitude of, of yes, you know, definitely. they've got these long mouths and... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're saying. So it's harder to get a, it depends on the puppet, it's harder yeah. to get maybe a, a subtle, small performance out of, you know, depends on the character, the puppet. Well, the, you know, the, they, we worked hard on it, but it but it was hard. And the dialogue they had was very, they were very articulate, Shakespearean almost, the emotions they were conveying. And we didn't have a, a lot of rehearsal of the acting of it. And, you know, it was incredibly demanding. But but people did incredible things. But, you know, I had one character, Mordra Argot, who was one of those sort of queens, who was a lovely, much lighter puppet, much more flexible. She didn't have a lot of um, mechanical stuff in her head. So she was much easier, and I felt I could get a much more subtle... Um, performance with her because I was much freer physically. Depending on the puppet, you might have to move your hand different ways. It might, something might be bigger, like a Skeksis might have a more, like you're talking about, bigger emotion, whereas Madra <clears throat> is that what I what did I say? Margaret it, it has can be a little bit more subtle and yeah. small, and yeah. you just have to know that as a yeah. puppet performer. And if you don't know that, she will look fake. She'll look false, even yeah. more false. And and what was very interesting, you know, we the the twelve um, main performers, we worked for quite a long time. Trying to get grips, they were they were difficult puppets. They were really difficult puppets. You know, Alice Deneen, White the Brayer was just beautiful. Yeah. What she was able to do. Amazing. I mean, Warwick. You know, the people did beautiful, beautiful stuff, but it was hard. My God, it was hard. And the puppeteers coming in, I don't think they quite realised what it was because they were like, why are we in the background? You know, we're, we're good puppeteers. They were brilliant puppeteers. We had, you know, every puppeteer in the country coming in for days. But Neil Sterenberg, who was Rian, the hero, you know, what he brought and worked, you know, he worked and worked and worked to get the physicality of that puppet. And people would come in and not understand why they couldn't just put on... Because... Because he isn't just anybody, you know, oh, well, it's a puppet. It looks the same whoever puts it on. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No, <laughs> yeah, it, it, no, does it not. doesn't. And, you know, interestingly, when we did Furchester Hotel, I had a day when they let me off. There was something for spitting image. Mm-hmm. And I went for a day and Warwick did Fenella, my character. Warwick yes. is a stunning puppeteer. She doesn't look like Fenella. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He did a really good job. No one else would know, but I know. But you know. Yeah. And I think that is, it, a lot of us can tell, uh, I think a lot of us that have been doing this a long time and observing, we can look at something and go, oh, that's, that's definitely Frank. 
Yeah. That's Jim. That's yeah. Louise. That's yeah. you can tell their styles. Everybody has their own yeah. uh, their own particular style. Yeah. Some people are really strict on on lip sync. Some people have certain little ticks mm. that they do that that's just part of how their style is and they're all valid. They all, you yeah. know, yeah. they all look great. And you're right. Most people probably wouldn't notice. But but I was interested because one of the puppeteers was sort of one of these people who'd come in and say, you know, it's a puppet, you just put it on. Of course, anyone can do it. Right. And this is not saying those other puppeteers weren't good. They were brilliant puppeteers. But Neil brought something, you know, Alice, Warwick, Kevin, they all bring their very, very specific, and that, you know, you're talking about what makes a character. Yes. It's not just you. And, and people who work with the Muppets for a long time, Often, you know, anyone can do any puppet. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Unless, they, unless they really are. There are people that can do it. They can do it in the style yeah. of Eric yeah. Jacobson, yeah. you know, yeah. and make it look good. Yeah. But it is, it is a trick. It's, it's tough. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Furchester Hotel, which yes. is a co-production from Sesame Workshop yeah. and CBBs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you played Fenella, like you said, mm-hmm. who is the kind of the, the mother of these monsters and the, yes. that ran the hotel. Yeah. Uh, tell me a bit about working on that show. What was that like to work on Furchester? I got to come over there and play for a couple you of days, which did. was super fun. But you, you were did. there the whole time. I loved it because it was... Oh my goodness! What a luxury! And I, got, I, I really enjoyed because I did Countess when you were over, and a few other characters. Mainly, I was Vanilla, but I did get to yeah. play with other characters. It was such fun. I mean, we had Ryan Dillon was with us, and David Rudman, which was joyous when they were over. So we had Cookie and Elmo um, playing with us, and oh, it was. I think it was the time when I went, I can't believe I'm getting to do this again now when I know how special it is. I'm getting another go. I've got to create a character who has a doll made of her. You know, how how wonderful yeah. is that? I've created, got these whole characters and and now I know how special it is. That's and, great to be able to do that, to have that oh, reflection and that realization. Yeah. And I felt much freer and I was able to play much more. And, you know, my experience coming to it. And and I have, because there's always a part of me that goes, you know, I am an actress as well. The pressure, I know some of the people who really, they, all they want to do is puppeteer. And I feel bad about this. It's so desperately important that they can't just do it and play. And you have to be able to play and be yeah. silly. And that was the the Jims and Frank, you know, they played. Yeah. Yeah. But they had to be comfortable first, I guess, to play. But they still had yeah. many, many years to get yeah. to that point where they could just be yeah. comfortable and play. Yeah. So, so for me to get to that point and feel comfortable enough and... You know, I'm I'm older now, but I'm luckily I'm still fit enough that I can do these things because it's such hard work. And Fenella, you know, she wasn't as big as a Skeksis, but she wasn't a little character. No. She was pretty big. You know that that yeah. I can f- physically do that still. Yeah. Did did you feel like it was your because you were the one with the biggest resume? Really, you were the veteran. I know that David Rudman was there, yeah. and and a lot of puppeteers on that show are well established in the industry yeah. as well. Yeah. But did you feel like you had a responsibility on that set? Yes, I did. I feel 
sometimes I think I'm not as responsible as I should be, and I wish I, um, you know, I don't. But but yes, I do because, as I say, Jim's legacy is you work hard. Well, one of the things I learned from Jim. I remember being under the set with him and he always had an earpiece in because he was direct line to the director and I'd be talking to him about something and but he would always be where it was he'd be ready to go and I think I'm pretty good at that I like playing I like playing but in the end we're there to serve the show you have to now we stop playing right now we're on it. And I I try to bring that to it. We can't let the play, we have to keep the play going because that keeps the spirit, the energy going. But now we're shooting. Yeah, I, you know, when I'm directing Sesame Street, I kind of feel like it's almost like herding kittens mm-hmm. on a set because you're like, they're, they're, they're laughing and that's great because you don't want to take away that that feeling that they are, they're, they're trying to, Put out yeah. this childlike energy anyway. Mm. These they're all playing kids mm. basically, and mm. and kids play and laugh, and so you don't mm. want to say no laughing. We got to shoot this fun thing. It's got to be a balance between yeah. the laughter and allowing them to do what they need to do, and then going, all right, guys, time to buckle down and work. Yeah. Well, that was that was one of the biggest things I learned from Jim was, you know, the work comes first, but the work is fun. You, but you can do mm. both. You can yeah. absolutely do both. But when it comes, you have to be there. And it was hard on Dark Crystal because it was so tiring and such hard work to kind of, come on, guys, come on, guys. We need to be there. This is too hard. It's too hard. Yeah. Well, no, just on Furchester, that I think was one of the things I was trying to do. I hope I was guiding people. I'd like to think I was. I don't know. Well, Louise, we have another special guest who has something to say to you, so let's roll this. The first time I met Louise Gold was when I moved to Manchester to uh, shoot the first series of the Furchester Hotel. We ended up doing something like, I think, four series, but that first time was a little bit jarring. Uh, I had never lived anywhere outside of the country, so to be sort of uprooting my life was definitely a little bit of a culture shock. Manchester was a place I learned to love, but in those early days... Manchester seemed cold even in the summertime. We had about a week of rehearsals. And I think it was mainly to get the crew and the producers uh, accustomed to the idea of working on a large-scale puppet show. This was not a small three-puppeteer shoot. This was a, a massive undertaking on the part of CBBS and Sesame. It was, it, this was not common for either of those companies to do something on quite this scale. I didn't really know any of the people I'd be working with. So that was exciting, but also slightly nerve-wracking. I also knew that Louise Gold would be there playing my aunt, uh, Fenella Furchester. Now, I had been reading Louise Gold's name in books and on the back of record covers ever since I was a wee little Muppet kid. So I knew I was, I was going to be next to royalty. Little did I realize just how kind and warm and, and caring she would be um, so much so that when I opened the doors to that rehearsal room for the very first time on my second day of living in England, I remember feeling just completely exhausted, hadn't slept the night before because of the the time change. My, my eyes were puffy, I was exhausted, but I opened the door and she was the first one to greet me <laughs> with open arms. And I'll never forget that she, in Fenella's voice, just said, We welcome you with fairy arms! And gave me a great big hug. 
And that was my <laughs> welcome into the country, really. And from then on, we just became uh, thick as thieves. I, I, I always cherish whenever we get together, whether it's working in a studio or having a late night sleepover in my apartment. And I'm really grateful for everything I've learned from her. She's the consummate professional. Um, she's a hilarious performer, an incredible actor. And uh, I mean, I don't have to tell you how versatile she is. So Louise Gold, here is your life. Do you remember these voices? <laughs> I'm not going to do any voices, but uh, I love you, Lou. I hope you uh, are well and um, miss you very much. Bye. Oh, Ryan. What a boy. What a boy. I know. Isn't he fantastic? Yeah, he's yeah. a gorgeous boy. Well, I, I second and third everything that Ryan and Warwick said because I'm not creative enough to come up with my own compliments for you. But, uh, <laughs> no, and you wouldn't want true. to lie. <laughs> no, no, no. You know what? I was just thinking this. I, I was trying to remember when we first met, and I guess it had to be on Muppets Most Wanted, which doesn't seem right. Thanks. But I think it was. And, and the thing that I remember, Louise, I think it had to be then. So around 2013. Yeah. Which is odd to me. No, wait, did what we did we meet? At when Jerry's. Jerry? Yes, Jerry. I think yeah, that's yeah, yeah. it. But I think, I, I guess I just always felt like I've, I oddly always have felt like I've known you. You have. I have. Yeah. I don't, you have. I don't know. I just always feel, it, it just feels very comfortable around you. And when, you know, I've come to, London, we've gone out to dinner, and uh, with Warwick that time, we went to that restaurant. It just just mm. felt like I had not missed a minute with you, you know? It just, you know, you see somebody, yeah. you yeah. don't see somebody for a long time, and then you get back in a room with them, and sometimes it's awkward or weird, but it, it never feels that way with you, Louise. Well, I think, you know, we, we are so privileged, the thing that we have been through, that the the kind of... Muppet world that we inhabit. Mm. There's a world. And the people who come to that world, you know, there are people who pass through it but don't stay with it because somehow it, it's they're not the right people. It's not to do with talent. Right. It's just there's something. What is it? I don't know. I don't know that, that mm. makes the people the right people. Who knows? I don't I know. know. I don't know, but you're right, and I'm very grateful. I'm grateful to know you. All right, I've got some rapid-fire questions for you, Louise. Okay, go, go, so, go. what's the hardest part about being a puppeteer? The, um, all of it. Every single... <laughs> <laughs> the pain. The puppet. Yeah, the hardest every, thing is the puppet. <laughs> okay, yeah, the, the puppet, puppet part of being a puppeteer <laughs> is the hardest part. <laughs> yeah. If it weren't for the I puppets, st- it would be so easy. <laughs> it's, it's, what a breeze it would be. But you know, you know, the irony is, yeah. you know, the irony, I always think when I'm puppeteering, oh, I much prefer being an actress. And when I'm being an actress, I always think, no, I really prefer doing puppets. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. think it's good that you can do both. What's the easiest part about being a puppeteer? The easiest part. Playing with my friends. Playing with my friends. There that's you go. The, that's the easiest thing. <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding, ding. You're right. Uh, what's the, your biggest strength as a, as a puppeteer or a performer? Your biggest strength, you think? I think I have great enthusiasm. <laughs> and what's your biggest weakness? Uh, I'm not as thorough as I could be. I like to come to things with big strokes, and sometimes the detail gets lost. 
I, I can relate to that. What's uh, one of your favorite things about being a Muppet performer? I know Elmo. I know Kermit the Frog. I know they're all my friends. That's my favorite thing. If you weren't an actor or a puppeteer, what would you be? Jobless. <laughs> That's it? You, you can't, there's nothing else you could do? Come on. <laughs> um, like if you I, hadn't gone down that path... And there was a long silence. <laughs> um, I, I really don't know. Right. There were no other options. You know, it's one of the things when, when you know, people say, oh, you should study typing and secretarial skills. And I went, no, because I don't want to have a fallback. I don't want All to right. have another choice. That's good. All right, last question. Yeah. Jerry Nelson once said yes. to me, he said, Sesame Street's great, uh, doing this job is great, but always have something that is your own that you create. And we all know that Jerry did that a lot. What, what is that for you, Louise? Yeah, that is one of my weaknesses. I don't really have that. I, I have been incredibly lucky. I kind of am open to things and I think I leap at opportunities and I I like to think that I grab them with both hands and throw myself into things, but I am not terribly self-motivated. I, I, I will do anything for anyone, but I am not self-motivated. I have done my own cabaret show. There you go. Okay, okay, I've but, done that. <laughs> but you know what? I think the other thing is your thing, though. It, it, you still have to have some creativity, even if you're like, I'm going to do this thing uh -huh. for this, this person. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're still being creative, and you're doing that, like you said, grab and hold with both hands. Yeah. That's your thing. That's your, that's your creative thing. I like to think so. I like, I like to think my creative thing um, is, as I say, you know, carrying Jim's spirit of, of, you know, we've chosen to do this. This is a joyful thing we do. And some of the shows I've done, I did Mamma Mia for two years in London, and people would you know that people are coming from horrible jobs they don't like, they've had, someone's died, you know, the worst situation, and you are giving them an evening that they go in, oh, I'm, I feel better for that, I feel better. And, you know, seeing our characters, they feel a bit better. And like at the moment, just to be able to bring a bit of joy to people, it's a very special thing. I love that, Louise. Lise, this, this has been so much fun talking to you. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk to little old me on the little old podcast. It's been a joy. I will talk about this stuff till the cows come home. Warwick's cow. Until Warwick's cow comes home. <laughs> uh, it could be a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is it. That's Below the Frame Season 2 premiere. We will be back with a brand new episode next week where we'll be speaking with my dear friend, Joey Mazzarino. 
Get updates and stuff about Below the Frame and Muppets and Sesame Street and pretty much anything I feel like posting on my Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok accounts at WelcomeMattV or just search for my name. Below the Frame is produced by me, Matt Vogel, and if you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you in advance. The theme song for Below the Frame was written by Stephanie DeBruzzo and performed by my band, The Mighty Weaklings. Our podcast logo was created by Dave Holteen at DaveHolteenDesign.com. Special thanks to Jan Nelson for giving me Jerry's stories and to Bill Beretta for sharing a memory and reading a story by a big inspiration to all of us Muppet performers, Mr. Jerry Nelson. Thanks to Louise Gold, Ryan Dillon, and Warwick Brownlow-Pike for being a part of today's show. And thanks to you, the fans, for listening. I am Matt Vogel. We'll see you next time when we go Below the Frame. Bye-bye. Go, go, go Below the Frame.